Hello and welcome to episode two of the Large Format Photography Podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by my co-host Andrew Bartram. Hello Andrew. Hello Simon, how are you doing? Very well, very well. And we, we've had to work on that uh, that, that opening uh, statement there and um, I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased with that now. So um, yeah, it's going to be a good episode. Don't give all your secrets away. You had a good week. Yeah, absolutely, and um, and we met for the first ex- time exactly, and that's what made it a good week. So <laughs> um, it was what uh, about four days ago uh, down at the uh, photography show in Birmingham, where there was the uh, uh, the mega analog uh, meetup with uh, Sunny Sixteen and Hamish Gill, and I think in the end there were about. I think close to 40 people turned up, I think. It was a mm-hmm. huge number of people, um, all analogue-related uh, people. And, uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a good time. It was, great, it was great to catch up with you. Although I did have a little bit of trouble recognising you because the only image that I have of you is, um, is your profile picture. So I was, I was expecting somebody that wasn't wearing glasses and I was, I was looking for somebody with a, a red dark cloth over one shoulder and um, oh, you, yeah. let, you let me down. Well, I was probably wearing contact lenses in that photograph because yeah. I'm, I'm as blind as a bat in reality. Yeah. Well, we, we, we made it together and we led uh, a merry band of uh, analogue photographers around and uh, we went, went to a few stalls. In fact, the first stall we actually went to was uh, Intrepid, uh, where we yep. met Max. We did. Yeah. And we'll have him on the show at some point. That's it. In fact, we met a, and that's that's the point. We met another future guest as well because we we met Steve from Cromer as well. While we're having this chit chat, let's not leave our guest on the side. Why don't you introduce him? Okay, um, we have a guest with us. Uh, this is episode two, and decided after one episode of just myself and Andrew having a chat, um, we wanted to bring along somebody that knows what they're talking about, uh, and in particular. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, well, the, you know, I, I said that you know everything about photography last time, and you you had, you had to go at me for saying that, saying no, I don't. Well, okay, so well, you just swung the other way now. E- exactly. So, um, and not not only uh, does he uh, know everything about photography, um, he hasn't switched his phone off. That's it. My phone is now switched off. That was uh, the Stranglers going there. If anybody uh, recognises the music, um, we have a fine art photographer, um, <laughs> and uh, his name is Graham Vasey. Hello, Graham. Hello, thanks for inviting me along. It's it's great great to have you here. Um, and uh, we we were chatting about this earlier, and I, so I think we should lead, lead off with that. That is a question. What is a fine art photographer? Well, I think a fine art photographer. I think maybe it's a bit more of an, like a bit of an old fashioned term, rather than being like the very commercial photography side of things, which are my background, which is producing pictures for advertising for uh, that kind of material. Uh, fine art photography is purely for to create images, which uh, for artistic uh, merit in themselves, if you see what I mean, rather than being for a commercial aspect. or avenues. So um, may remain poor in brackets. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the problem, though. Uh, so, yeah, if I, I, it's a, I suppose it is a bit of a, an old term. I think it gets a lot of... S- um, a lot of slander at them these days. I think the, the term "fine art photographer" because it, it does make you sound a bit snooty. But I think it was uh, it was a way at the time, uh, 10, 15 years ago, to try and uh, distance, like create a, a distance between what I used to do as a as more commercial photographer and uh, 
photography, photography assistant and what I'm doing now, which is a purely artistic endeavor pursuit of me. So, yeah. So why don't so, you just, uh, with that age-old question that podcast questioners like to ask guests, how you got to where you are now? So, in, yeah, I... It, briefly. Briefly. Uh, well, I did... Um, foundation in uh, art and design uh, after doing a a level of art and design and i especially during that I specialized in photography and then i went on and did a h and d in photography at newcastle college which is a very much a course geared towards commercial photography very much um advertising fashion uh, that kind of material stuff um and then i went to work in leeds and manchester as a photography assistant and started doing some work myself came back and started working for small advertising agencies in, in local local to me um, but I kind of felt not really what I wanted to do I felt like it was a bit constrictive I felt like I wanted to do something more and something different so over the last 10 or 12 years I've been focusing more on producing pictures for which are purely my artistic interpretation my artistic vision how I want you know uh, so that involves alternative processes, um, strange lenses and things like that to uh, to give them, try and create something different and unique within my work. Well, you certainly do that. I think I was, I don't know when we first started chatting, probably a few years ago on Twitter. Oh, easily, yeah, yeah. Um, we, we met in a rather strange way in a pub in Warboys, which we won't go into. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I, I first, I think I first became aware of your work. Probably you were posting some reference to some of the stuff you put in in, in the local gallery in in the town where you live. But also, yeah. I think your work with with silver emulsion. So, uh, yes, um, yeah. Do, do you want to share a little bit about your work with some silver emulsion about the process? Yeah. And um, so it was something that I studied at college. It's something we did as as, as alternate processes in college, and I was trying to find ways uh, that I could make my my work seemed more unique and more individual. So each piece would be um, and more uh, creative with a hands-on process method. So I want. So I try. I started experimenting using liquid emulsion, uh, as well as other things, uh, salt prints. I've done a lot of salt prints and lift prints and things like that. Uh, so and the I and the more I did it. I kind of the more I started to like the freedom it gave me. Uh, I like the textures and uh, uh, the unique feel it gives to each individual print. So it was, yeah. So as well, I'm in a, in a gallery that's predominantly um, like uh, painters. Really, uh, there's a lot of abstract painters as well. So I wanted my work to. I kind of started to get influenced by them about their mark making processes and things like that. And I was, I really like the silver emulsion because it allows me to create those brush marks and, and uh, little voids and things within the work. It, it, I think it really, uh, it really stimulates and helps to um, uh, express the, the, the emotional connection with the landscape and things which i'm taking pictures of so yeah, yeah it's, it's, mo most of your images are what within 20 miles of where you live would you say yes yeah, especially in the last um sort of nine year eight or nine years more and more i'm becoming more and more focused in within yeah 20 miles of where i live um mostly teesdale and weirdale and 
almost some of them are in five ten minutes drive of uh, where I live and where you we went together and did some shooting on the Cockfield Fell, which is just the next village up. Yeah, you've got some images on on your blog site and on your on your website, folks. You can find Graham's work um, if you just Google Graham Vasey, you'll find a couple of. of sites for him is his wordpress blog and also his his website uh, are you mainly using large format then graham these days and uh, uh, yes yeah and if, I, and if so why um the control um the, the large format camera gives they're also extremely flexible cameras because um i also shoot a lot of uh, 120 medium format so i use a lot of uh, 6p9 and you can use a roll film back onto a 5.4 camera, but it still gives you that flexibility of all the uh, movements, um, control over your focus and things like that, uh, which is unique to the large format system, really, apart from shift lenses and things like that, really. But it's still not the, quite the same. So also, I do a lot of very large prints. So my prints go up to sort of 90 centimetres by 110 centimetres. So... I don't even know how three, to that three feet yeah 90 yeah. 100 by three and a half yeah yeah pretty big pretty big um and the lad the larger neck of course really facilitates that that really makes printing it a lot easier uh, you get a much better uh, quality result at the end of it as well so, so you have a large format of uh, five four four five we won't get into that debate uh, in, large, in larger <laughs> yes i do I, i've actually i've actually got two which is a bit oh, seems a bit, so bit a bit greedy so i've got uh, both of them are cheapy old old things so uh, a couple of years ago i drove up i won a, a an old british and larger by a company called johnson yeah uh, i won it on ebay for about 25 johnson, pounds they, they were in hendon i think if that's a yeah thing. yeah exactly yeah yeah mm. and uh so i won it for 25 pounds from a guy in greenwich on ebay mm. so I, I drove my my old land rover i had at the time which did about 20 miles to the gallon um all the way down to london to collect it <laughs> so i probably spent more in petrol than I did on the enlarger uh but that's been a real help because it's it's the old-fashioned it's a big condenser enlarger but it's on a um s uh a round cylindrical stem so i can swing it 180 degrees and project onto the floor which means i can uh, i can really do some very big prints with it and i've got a, a smaller cold cathode one as well which is like a tabletop one um uh, which actually will take up to a half plate uh but i haven't really used that that much because that's in my dark room which i'm kind of building in my loft at the moment as well as my bigger dark room so um yeah, I haven't used that much because it's again, it's a different light source. So yeah, so I, I, it's a bit softer light and it works a bit differently. So well, I have Graham, one of the um, one of the raison d'etres. Can you have more than one raison d'etre, and does it then become a raise? Is it then raison d'etres? I've no idea. <laughs> or sultana, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, one of the one of the main sultanas for driving this show is to try and debunk the mythology around. Um, large format photography so you right, mentioned yeah. you mentioned you mentioned a couple of things you mentioned uh, you, me you mentioned movements which we can we kind of we kind of yeah, yeah, touched, yeah. touched on I, I expect we'll probably yes, touch yeah. on the most shows but you also mentioned shooting roll film on a on a four by five camera yeah. so a lot of people I mean when I first got into large format photography I quickly realized you could do this but it was a bit I was a bit mystified really because I didn't really understand all the terms you know like 
universal backs or yes. graph locks yeah, and yeah, all that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, do you, are you able to talk to us a little bit about your yeah, setup yeah, and, about, and about, the tool, about, uh, the, about the choices available out there to folks yeah. who would like to shoot roll film on a large format camera? Yeah. Um, so basically, any. Uh, after the sort of after the Second World War, I would think it's sort of nineteen fifties to nineteen sort of sixties, they started introducing what became known as a universal back on five four cameras. Uh, quite often, or graph uh, American in the graphic speed graphics called it the graph lock, uh, but basically it allows you to take out your focusing screen, take it, unclip it from your the back of your camera, usually on like a little spring clip mechanism, <coughs> and then it allows you to attach. Uh, different backs so you could then use uh, polaroid pack film backs uh, so you could shoot your type 669 or type 665 um, in the same way you'd use with your land camera or you could use a roll film back and they come in a range of formats so you can shoot i think from 66 67 uh, 69 you can go all the way like you have up to like six um 17, uh, six by 17. Um, so it gives you a really so basically means you can turn your 5.4 camera into a um, into um, a panoramic camera basically if you with the right lens and the right back you know 612 or a 617 back uh, or it just means you can uh, you have that flexibility with uh, film formats because it's it's quite difficult to carry large amounts of um, uh, dark slides with you they're quite bulky quite heavy but having a roll film back with you means you can carry sort of half a dozen rolls you know a couple of rolls of film with you as well which helps supplement and means it just uh yeah so it allows you to shoot more basically i think so really, why what why would you want so i'm being devil's advocate now why yeah. would you want to shoot roll film why wouldn't i just take my roll film camera out into the landscape with me uh, I think again, it's it's that flexibility. So you still have the ability to, with your roll film back attached, to use your uh, f uh, elements, your your uh, to adjust your focus. So you can still correct for perspective. You still can uh, correct for um, focal distance, uh, using all those brilliant movements you have on your five four camera. But you've turned it into a medium format camera and then you can still put in a five uh, a sheet of five four film and get the big negative as well so instead of having to bring just your five four camera and a 120 like a medium format camera with you at the same time you can bring one universal kit which is really handy if you're traveling uh quite far or or not and as as i say you can also use uh pack film backs which is really good so you could how, how do you go about framing uh, well, usually on, I mean, depending on your uh, your focusing screen, the back of your camera, uh, some will have um, uh, lines, which will have a grid pattern, and mine actually has little air brackets where uh, for the different for film formats on them, the little little edges. Uh, or the other thing to do is literally to create. Uh, like a template you could create a paper template like mm -hmm. a little so you fit over your ground glass screen so you know where the film will be that's a good idea Polaroid uh, used to go to give you those with your uh, pack film backs as well so you you would know where to frame oh that would be really useful because i was given a pack film back by yeah. uh, the wonderful mr jeremy north how you doing jeremy a friend of podcasts around the world and 
you might say, well, why why would I be interested in having a pack, a pack film back? Well, there is pack film still available, and there's, yeah, a, yeah. there's, there's new stuff being made yeah. by um, you know by yeah, the guys I mean, in Vienna. It's expensive. Yeah. It's expensive, but I, I think mean, well. If I'm going to use, if I'm going to spend thirty dollars on six sheets of this stuff when it becomes commercially available, I'm going to use it really sparingly. So where would I be best doing that? Well, I, if I take, if I use it on a large format camera, the whole thing is means I'm going to be shooting slowly and in yes. a considered yeah. manner. And yeah. if you're if you're paying, you know, five quid for a sheet of peel apart film, yeah, you're going to want to just shoot it carefully <laughs> yes exactly no exactly i mean they did a couple of different ver- they did a um a five was it five four five back or a 500 back where it was like a, it slid in like a dark slide and then it had a larger sheet of pull film which is what they tried to recreate the new 55 hmm. which was not quite often the, the famous one was type 55 which was a pos neg it had a negative as well as a positive and then you could separate the two clear off this gunky stuff and you could and they did a type one called type 6665 which was one of my favorites and I, and when i first started into uh, 54 after i finished college and i was borrowing a camera i couldn't really afford lots of dark slides or film i you still could buy packs of um, type 665 and so that gave me a lot of flexibility because in reality you have like almost you had 10 shots in one film back basically and you still had quite a sort of a large what is what size negative is it it's about eight by five or something negative isn't it i think something like that on a polaroid i can't remember now um yeah i can't yeah, remember uh, i mean in the day when i was at college we used it all for um testing exposure you know you just we went through burned through tons of polaroid just testing exposures and that's what you mostly use, especially when you're doing studio work and like portraiture or uh, still life work. Uh, you'd you'd almost barely use your light meter and just use Polaroids all the time. Oh, how times have changed! Now, oh, now, we, now you know, your, it, it was a throwaway, <laughs> yeah, a throwaway material, and now yeah. it, I, I cry when I think about the amount of um, yeah, I know. fifty-five I threw in the bin. <laughs> well, it was Ans- Ansel Adams. Ansel Adams' favourite, wasn't it? In many ways, he yeah, he, yeah, because it's an was, unbelievably fine-grained negative. It's it's, it's unbelievable. To he me. worked with he worked with Edwin Land, the creator of Polaroid materials, to develop oh, did he? I didn't know to, that. to develop Type Fifty Five. Yeah, right. Yeah, I've got right. a book of his. I've got a book of his Polaroids, and they're mostly Fifty Five Type yeah. Fifty Five. Um, yeah. Uh, and because yeah, the negative is produced, the negative is produced um, in close contact with the paper. It produces a very uh, superb range of tones in the in the, in the negative. <clears throat> yes, yeah. I've never used it. I used I used New Fifty Five, and I had I had the Universal back, uh, the the one which takes the single um, yeah uh, sing, single shots in. Yes, yeah, yeah, and, with the um, clips on there, and then you. To move the lever to open and close and pull it through the yeah, rollers. The, but the one that the one that Jeremy on. has given me takes the pack film. So when uh, when I, when my Kickstarter material comes through the post, oh I great! Should... So you 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 put in for the uh, uh, Fingerjigs new project, have you? The uh, yes, yeah. I can't remember the name either. Yes, What's it? yeah, um, yeah. So he, I think they in as well. They were going to work with the guys who um, created New Fifty Five. Yeah, uh, who sadly fell into like had problems with their production and 
create a posneg film as well, black and white posneg film uh, in a pack form, which will be very interesting. Graham, so, yeah. where do you where do you go to buy roll film backs for your four five camera, and what would you, would you have any recommendations for folk about? Yeah, I bought mine from uh, a shop in Leeds called West Yorkshire Cameras, and they're really good. Uh, they're only a, they're purely a analog um, sort mm. of film camera shop, and they do get quite a lot of very good quality five uh, four equipment and even ten eight. And I bought my and lenses and things like that. And they're really knowledgeable guys, uh, people, and they know lots about what they're talking about. And they've got really good prices and a good, um, good, sort of very quick, good sales policy as well. So they're very, they're, they're great. So I bought mine. It's an old MPP one, a British one, from which is quite heavy. I must admit, it's a bit of a. It's someone told me that MPP were originally a tank factory, and then they turned into turned it into a camera factory, but didn't like. So that's why everything's built like a proverbial house but it's 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 it but it does do the job it's just it's a it's a great it's a really solid piece of kit um and is that six nine or six seven six nine Mm -hmm. that's a six nine so it's actually more like um two and a quarter by three and a quarter of something like that it's like the it's 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 a slightly different from a six i've had a a graph i've had another six nine back which was slightly different proportions i think there must be slight uh, an old sort of like imperial measurement version and the, and the, the sort of uh, uh, so it's I can't remember it's slightly different proportions than yeah I think it's uh, like millimeters sort of thing going into a camera shop if, if if you're unsure going into a camera shop like West Yorkshire cameras is fantastic because you can take your camera and say well I want to shoot roll film yeah. and I'm a bit uncertain what will fit and what won't because yeah. it can be confusing looking on Fleabay yes. can't it yeah it can it can and uh, it, it sometimes you're not sure about there's a lot of people selling a lot of very really good stuff on eBay but sometimes people who are selling it don't know an awful lot about what they're selling so sometimes the information you can get isn't quite right and just looking at a picture it's hard to, to understand what you're what you're buying uh, and sometimes as well, going to a shop, you can actually, it can be a little bit cheaper. Uh, so because for West, yeah. West Yorkshire cameras clearly go up to large <coughs> fo- stock, large format. Uh, yeah. 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 Simon, you, uh, let me bring you in. You're, you're got some experience with selling stuff. Um, where, what do you know? What other camera stores do you know where people can go in and get advice on? Mr. Cad are very good. Mr. Cad. Yeah. I've, I, I bought a couple of lenses from Mr. Cad over the years, and they've yep. always been very, very knowledgeable. A massive range of stock as well, huge range of stock. They're now in South London, I think, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I th- there's a there's a few of them uh, knocking about. Interesting, interesting enough, I would have actually said West West uh, Yorkshire cameras. There's also is it Mifsuds, uh down in the the southwest. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard, I've heard of them, but are they actually? Do they have a premises you can? I think so. You can I go think, into. I think so. And there's oh, I, I can't remember where the, where where they all are now. But there's there's definitely something down in the uh, in the southwest. Um, I just can't quite remember which which town it was. Yeah, uh, I mean you've got you've got places like Fords and things like that, and Whites and Edinburgh and stuff. But I mean they're a bit more high end. Uh, they're a bit well, more. Fords, Fords used to be in South End on Sea in yeah. in Essex, yeah, and they were then. They, but now they're in Scotland somewhere, aren't they? Is it is, is it Fords or is all oh, right? Yeah, yeah, Fords, they, are, they, Fords are in they, Scotland. 
stock a lot of ebony stuff and things like that and uh, newer fox and the, yeah so you can one of the modern cameras they stock is the shen ho isn't it is that yeah, how you pronounce that, it that's, what I use, yeah. 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 There's also uh, the the latent image in um, in Shrewsbury or Shrewsbury, depending on uh, which which way you want to say it. Um, it's rel- relatively uh, new uh, place. Um, I think they started off doing uh, developing, but they're uh, expanding into equipment, and uh, occasionally I, I see um, interesting gear uh, pop up that they're doing. And for instance, I saw a um, a Gosson. Uh, five by four metering attachment, uh, which I thought, oh, that looks absolutely fantastic. It's, it would actually <laughs> just like slot slot in there, and uh, you get you get normal metering out of a five by four camera. That sounded very exotic oh, to me. Sinar, Sinar yeah. do something like that, don't they? Do Sinar do? They oh, have a metered yeah. back. They have a metered back. I don't know how that works, but it might have been. I think it was on a Sinar, and and it was, but it was connected to a to a Gossen Profi Six. Um, so I don't I don't know whether it was a Gosson uh, attachment or whether it was a Synod and, and the Gosson works with it. Yeah, yeah. Mm, I've never seen one of those before. That would be quite cool. But yeah. But I think it's you know if you if you're getting into large format and some of our listeners will be will be doing that. You know, just judging by some of the communication we've had online and talking in the Facebook group since we started, there's clearly. A lot of interest in the larger formats, and people just get so confused. So you know, yeah, no, there's so many different companies. Go into go into a camera store that specialises. The other one, if you're down anywhere near where Graham Jago lives, first of all, tell him you're going down there, and then meet him at Secondhand Darkroom Supplies. So that's yes, they're they're fantastic. That's another good place. Really good, yeah. Yeah. In fact, they're so good they don't know half the stuff they've got hidden away there. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. No, they that yeah, they and they have a yeah, and they, again, they're very knowledgeable. They really know what they're talking about. And it's quite good to be able to handle some of this equipment so you can yeah. actually really know what it's about sort of thing. So, um uh yes, yeah, so, cuz that's the thing. It it just they've been making 54 camera like large format cameras for so long. It's probably the oldest uh, form of camera you know they've been ba- building sort of and i did it when i first started as well i, I went out and bought this uh plate camera from japan uh a half plate camera not really knowing what i was buying i mean it's a beautiful camera but then i learned you know not even you can even just clip it onto a normal tri- screw onto a normal tripod you had to buy one of the clipping old-fashioned wooden legs and then it only had the one back and i realized that you know that back you'd have to adapt to be able to take any kind of film and that film you'd have to get it pre-ordered or pre-cut or cut it yourself. So yeah, I, I have used it. I used it for my clothing work. Uh, but for a long time I had this camera and I'd spent after probably after tax and you know duty and things and it really 200 pounds that I couldn't really do an awful lot with. So it, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to talk to somebody who knows what they're doing and uh, and and being able to like uh, even if you're on the phone talking to them, they're able to give you some good advice. Uh, but I mean, or going direct to someone like Intrepid, their website is fantastic. They have a lot of information on their on their website about which about lenses and about their camera, and they seem really really friendly guys as well, really friendly people. Another, another source is uh, ca- uh, camera fairs. I don't know if they have any in the northeast. Do, do you have any camera fairs up your way? Yeah, there's usually one at Tadcaster uh, on a regular basis uh, near York. 
uh, sort of between York and Leeds. Uh, there's there's one there, um, and yeah, yeah, that's great because again, you can get some really good prices and on equipment and things. And a lot of dealers, there's a lot of dealers who don't really like. Um, it's a fantastic one near Hull. It's got uh, Simon Chesterman and his uh, collectible cameras. And I was, was, was going to mention Simon. Was he? He does. Yeah. He definitely does the rounds, and he yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he has. And he has. Honestly, he, again, he's one of those people. He, he's got so much stock. Sometimes he doesn't even know what he really has because he buys up stuff and sorts through it all. So, I've, I've picked a bit more. Picked up a few bits and bobs from him, and so's my my dad, who's who's keen on his photography. So yeah, he's he's a really knowledgeable guy. Graham, what's the cam? What's the large format camera? you have at the moment i think you might have more than one but what are you what are you uh, yeah, using i've got, got a couple my first one was an old uh, mpp um it was a mark two but i'd been modernized into a mark three so but that just had a fixed back it would take um single dark slides but it wouldn't take a roll film back or anything you can't unclip it and i use that for for years and years and years until the bellows have started to deteriorate. Um, so that was my, um, I picked it up again. That was a, again, a little bit of a, uh, I won it on eBay without really knowing what I'd won. And it arrived and luckily I had a friend who could, who helped me tidy it up and get it so it's really usable. Uh, and those MPPs, I mean, I used the Mark 8 as well and things. They're really good quality cameras. And then a few years ago, back in about 2013, I, invested in um, a Shenho, uh, one of the um, lightweight uh, fixed standards ones. Uh, it's, what's it called? The It's got um, the fixed, it's got the, up, the, the back standard is you can't fold it flat, can yeah, you? It? Yeah, it, has, it has back movements, but you can't, it doesn't fold flat like a field camera. No, it doesn't. It doesn't but fold it, up. Yeah. But it compresses quite small into a similar oh, space, really, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It, it, it's, it's designed for wide-angle lenses. Uh, so it's called the TSC45 IIB or something. And they do them in different, um, I think they do up to 1010, they do one in like some strange formats. Uh, but it's great because you can keep the lens on and then you just, as you, you roll it in, you close down the focusing and then slide it into your, into your camera bag. Um, so it's, it's quite compact, even though it doesn't fold up. And then when you just need to use it again, you can just, you just roll out the focusing and you're, and you're shooting straight away. So there isn't that kind of neatly tucking and things. So, um, yeah, that's been a great camera. Absolutely fantastic. So then that's been a lot more, adaptable being able to use different film backs and things on that so going back to the mpp um we did have a, an email from ben reynolds um who um sent uh, hello ben and uh, he sent an email uh, a week or two ago and um, i'll just read it to you graham because there's a yeah, sure. there's a supplementary question which you can help right. us with maybe um hello chaps that's we're not called sunbeams. I don't know what you'd call groups of large format photographers. But... I think chaps is or no. Well, I suppose that's, no. You can't just call yourself chaps, can you? Uh, well, I don't know. We can well, at the moment. I don't know. Just, just thought I would email to say well done on the first podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. We only read out the good emails, by the way. We're not uh, all the hate, all, all the hate emails. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're leaving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to future broadcasts. So are we, with respect to the MPP cameras, because I think we touched on them last week when we were talking about different press cameras. Uh, the micro press was the speed graphic equivalent with a focal plane shutter. 
Yes, yeah. Uh, the micro technical was the first was the one that went up to Mark 8. Ah, yes. okay. So there's yeah. the micro press was the speed yeah. graphic equivalent. Yeah, it had a, a built-in range finder and a focal plane shutter like the speed graphics. Right. Oh, okay. Limited, so very limited only a small limited movement on the front. Yes. So that was a distinction. So there's the micro technical which yeah. is the other was the one that went up to Mark Eight, and there's many yeah. more movements. So that's that's part of the series that you've got, is it? The micro yeah, yeah, yeah. So they you had triple expansion bellows. You had mm-hmm. um, rear movements because they're on like four. There's four like uh, bolts, like uh, thumb screws on either on the back of the camera with rods. So what you'd do is you'd slacken them off, and you could basically move that in pretty much any direction you you, you want along the along any. So you could even different axes and things and then you had uh, uh swing and tilt on the front as well as raise uh and so yeah they're quite an adaptable camera very similar because linhoff do one as well they do a technical camera and it's very similar so yeah are they uh, is it easy to come across the micro technical ones like mark mark sevens and mark eights i think are desirable if yes, my memory yeah. because they yeah. have the universal or graph lock style backs is that yes they do yeah right? i think actually from the mark six did i think the mark, mark six may have done uh, okay. as well um as they go through this through the john um this, this, they, they get better and better more you have more movements they're a bit more better engineered and things more um uh, but they do become heavier as you get higher up so the mark so mine is comes in at about three kilos my my mpp but i think the mark eight is about nearly four so you're getting because they put more and more stuff onto them uh more and more gearing and things like that they become a bit more heavy uh, but they are really sturdy well-built cameras they are you can, you can drop a clip drop it off a cliff i think it'd be all right um yeah they're, they're fantastic bits of kit and they're not too expensive either, really, for what you're getting. Um, they aren't too expensive. And there's a great um, there's a great camera club that follows part of them as well. Uh, there's the MPP Users Club, and they used to have like a, a quarterly magazine you could sign up for, and they've got a very good website with lots of information on. And in the magazine was lots of information uh, about uh, all the different sort of equipment that they made and repairing it and using it and things so they're quite it's there's a lot of uh, support there for it it's kind of like owning a classic car in a way you kind of join the users club on the way to the meetups it's full of people in laybys with broken down cameras that's it yeah that's it <laughs> <laughs> and some people who just polished them <laughs> so, so before I, before i get on to the technical question he says here also is simon still blaming me for his unfortunate baby graphic purchase uh, the answer is yes. Um, <laughs> I am abs- I am absolutely still bl- blaming Ben for that. Um, uh, but it's lovely. It's uh, it's just like a um, a speed graphic, only smaller. And <laughs> this the, you thought you were buying something else, and he sold you something. Well, what it, what that was it, smaller. It was he he pointed something out to me on eBay uh, because he knew I was looking for a speed graphic. Because I'm I'm interested in, in a speed graphic uh, because of the focal plane shutter. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I do, um, I was going to say sort of own. No, I do own uh, an Aero Ektar, um, which, uh, uh, yes, which I yeah, want yeah. to work with. There's a few problems with that, though, uh, because the uh, the Aero Ektar is still mm. in part of its um, original housing. 
and uh, everything's been unscrewed, uh, all locking bits and bobs and, and, and so on, and it still won't actually come out. And it's currently with an engineering company at the moment, um, and they are... Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, well, they've had it for several months. I said to them, just just do it when you get round to it. Don't 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 like spend lots of money on it and things like that. And uh, they've gone very quiet. Uh, so Simon, in my in my role of trying to let's keep it simple because <laughs> we have lots of new people listening. Do you want to just explain what you were talking about when you said the Aero Ektar? You, I know what you're talking about, but other people might not. And then you talked about it still being in its original housing. Yes, um, I, you know, I never thought I was going to overcomplicate this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, so an Aero Ektar is, uh, I think it's 172 millimeter lens, I think it is, and it's uh, made by Kodak, uh, and it was a aerial reconnaissance lens, uh, mm -hmm. so it would be found in uh, American or US uh, reconnaissance. Uh, planes, so whether it be in in large planes or maybe in smaller planes, and uh, the and it, it's a it's a very fast lens. I, I, although I can't actually quite, I think it might be a f two point five or something like that. I, I can't remember because I haven't seen it for so long because it's with an engineering company. Um, but the it's a so it's a it's a hundred and seventy mil little there there about lens. It's it's fast and uh, and when you actually use it on a it will cover five by four, um, and the the beauty of it is that it gives you an incredibly shallow depth of field if that's what you want, which is generally speaking the op the opposite to what most large format photography is about. Um, and I, we'll we'll probably cover the you know, the types of use at another time, but the yeah. um, the housing um, is because this, this thing was fixed inside uh, an aeroplane. Uh, and it, the actual camera was very, very large. Um, so you, you didn't just like unclip this thing uh, like you would do a normal interchangeable lens camera, which it wasn't really meant to be changed that often. And so there's a, there's a housing uh, that goes around the thread of the lens with, and then a, that housing then attaches to the camera itself. At least that's what I think happens with it. I've not seen the camera, uh, in, I haven't seen the lens in place in the, in the camera. Um, so so yeah, the, the other reason for wanting this lens and, and putting it on a 5x4 camera with a focal plane shutter, um, such as uh, the, the speed graphic, which I thought that uh, Ben was pointing me at, um, and he pointed me at this tiny cute uh, speed graphic instead of the, uh, the grown-up one that I wanted. Um, is that the, the the lens itself does not have a built-in shutter, which in large formats that's normal. Um, but the so therefore you have to find some other way of, of controlling your your exposure. Um, and and if you've got a focal plane shutter uh, that sits just in front of your film, um, then you can you can use that uh, effectively taking the picture in similar ways as you would do with a, a rangefinder camera or even an SLR if there was a, if there was a mirror in there. So the certainly the micro press, yes, uh, as Ben was talking about, it, it um, has the focal plane shutter. Um, presumably, Graham, the micro technicals, the one that got up to Mark Eight, they don't have. They just rely no, on. No, they just rely on a leaf shutter in yes. the lens assembly. In yeah. the sort of lens assembly. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, well, not necessarily. There may have been one or two which were specially built with them, but I think they're extremely rare, and they were kind of like a customized version. So they did sometimes come with um, uh, quite often they came with a rangefinder like the uh, speed yes. graphic. 
So Simon, Simon, why didn't you take Jeremy North into a, a, a dark corner of the photography <laughs> show, mug, mug him, and and steal that um, that gra- graphic camera he had that Neil Piper ended up taking away? Yeah, uh, the, the the thought did occur to me, but he he did. It was actually announced that he was bringing it along with him. So uh, yeah, it, it was it, announced it, on backing paper, wasn't it? Exactly. So it mm. was a public domain thing, and I want so therefore I wouldn't have got away with it because you know, the 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 finger would have been pointed at me. So uh, I, I just had to give up on that one. Okay, so I've got a public information service uh, broadcast to make now because as i've been talking to you neil piper's been sending me a message and it's one that you can help him with and it and it relates to the camera that he took away from the photography show uh so i put this one to both of you really so neil says here's a question and he wants me to text him back (laughs) live on air because i think he's watching it on ebay here's a question i possibly have the opportunity to purchase a rodenstock sironar n 150 millimeter f 5.6 in a copal number naught uh yeah shutter i guess unless it's a lens board anyway that fits my graphlex oh that yes because i think he's got a lens board with his graphlex and it probably has a copal zero hole in it yeah yeah that's yeah the shutter doesn't appear to be working properly on the 160th quarter half or one settings um, right, but yeah. but it's fine. But it's yes, I thought it's fine on others. Any idea of a fair price? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Hmm. Uh, was it Rodenstock? <sighs> you say? Yeah, I don't really know. Um, so I'll text him back. This is good. This is like live interactive podcast. What are <laughs> they asking for it? I mean, depends whether because I mean I say sometimes it's just a very very quick fix. It's just a matter of using the the shutter a little bit, firing it a bit just to get it to work again. Because they do gunge up copal shutters when they haven't been used for a while. Uh, and the other thing to do is the little cheat is just like a tiny drop of uh, lighter fluid into the into where you cock the shutter. And then fire it a couple of times, and sometimes that can loosen up the old uh, gungy grease. I've always been far inside. too far too scared to do such things, and I, I don't know whether Simon has fainted or um, <laughs> or, or he agrees yeah. with such cavalier advice or not. Yeah, really. yeah. It's, it's, yeah that's why when you get bargain basement cameras, sometimes you have to use bargain basement ways of repairing them. But you really should send it off to a proper guy who would. Taking no, apart, well, lubricate it properly, and put it back together for you. But well, yeah, you can. I've, a couple of times, I've got things to work again. Yeah, well, other times, I've ended up with lighter fluid all over the inside of my lens, which is not fun. Well, so I've <laughs> I've just got eBay on at the moment, and uh, this this is all. It's sort of sounding a bit like a, an episode of the Classic Lenses podcast. It's <laughs> where uh, my, one of my co-hosts, uh, Carl, is notorious. Uh, before buying, buying lenses online. on there, and I'm yeah. I'm just looking at this lens now, and I'm thinking, oh, I like that. <laughs> Is this the one that Simon? Well, sorry, not Simon. Neil is just. Hang on, because this is really important. We might be helping Neil out, you see, and he's texting me live as we record. So he now says, I have to make an offer. It's old uni stuff, and they're about to make a job lot sale off to a local camera place. Oh, so, I'm looking. At, I'm looking at a different one then. Oh, okay. yeah. This isn't. This isn't on eBay. This uh, is. Oh, um, right, right. This is. Well, how much is the one on Sam? What's the one on eBay going well, for? It's it's on at an auction at the moment, so uh, oh, that's right. not. Um, I, and I'm looking at this. Ah, no, that's an enlarger lens. One of these went for two hundred and ten pounds uh, recently. Uh, 
Um, that was without a board. I don't know how good the shutter was, but that was a Copal Zero. Um, it's a one. fairly modern lens, isn't it? It and is, yeah. So yeah. that's similar yeah. to my similar to my Schneider, the one I was talking to you about, Simon, which has the Linhoff engraving on it. And I think they go for a couple of hundred quid normally in a board in nice condition. Yeah, because... Yeah, I was going to say there's another one here. It's a, is it, was it a Syrian RN? Was it? Did it? Did yeah. It? Okay. Yeah. yeah. This is this. It's actually a lot less. Uh, there's one here now it, that went for 115. So yeah, because th- and that, and that's the thing you get. You get APO lenses and or APO lenses and and so on, and they can make a, a quite. This is actually one of the, the one of the more bewildering parts of large format photography, even even for myself, and I am a lens person. Is that you know just just a small difference in the designation, of the name can can make an enormous difference in, in in the value of a lens. I'm going to tell him to offer fifty quid. Yeah, I think that you sounds think that, very reasonable to me. Think, yeah, but maybe fifty quid. Simon says. <laughs> <laughs> and get and, and get somebody to look at the shutter. Alternatively, that's the other thing is, is just try and find a shutter separately. Graham Vasey will advise <laughs> on shutter. Well, that's a, you, so you brought up a good point there, though, as well, Simon, about uh, or Andrew about um, lenses which are marked Linhoff. Hmm. Um. Linhoff usually selected the better lenses from Schneider. Yeah. Yes, that's what you said, Simon. So yeah, I, yeah. I've inadvertently so, got one of those. Yeah. So they. So if you're looking for a, if you see a lens with in a Lin, Linhoff mount uh, or shutter casement kind of thing, um, you, they usually kind of like roll. You know, like they're picking watch movements and things like that. They used to pick the better quality lenses and the better movement uh, shutters and things so they're usually a good sign of a, a good quality lens uh so yeah that's always something worth looking out for and quite often if as well if they're on a linhoff uh, technica uh, board that's exactly the same as a, a vista board and yeah. will fit also i think it'll intrepid cameras intrepid and your um uh Quite a few other different cameras as well, weren't they? I think it's yeah. Toy, my Toya is slightly you, different. That's, lens boards aren't really universal, but that's probably the closest you can get to it. Yeah, Linhoff Linhoff Technica is essentially the, the closest thing you get to a one that's interchangeable, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah, because they fit all the Shenho cameras as well, and I think all the Ebony cameras and uh, use a uh, a Technica uh, size lens board as well. Um, so that was worth looking out for. Yeah, that's that that point you made there about. Uh, uh, co co branded lenses, and uh, I've got a my Sinar uh, um, camera has, has got a Sinaron or whatever it's called. Um, I say mine because I've been I've been threatening to sell it for some time, and now doing this podcast means that I don't really want to sell it anymore, even though I don't use it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that that co branding, um, I think it's just worth just t- touching upon that uh, because you, and you've already pretty much explained. Uh, that the let's say Linoff would select uh, a lens from say Rodenstock or Snyder or any any of the, these these people. Yeah, and you're there thinking, well, surely Snyder and Rodenstock know how to make a lens. Why 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 would they select certain ones? And and the, the reason for that is something called sample variation. And, yes. Uh, yeah. And so these these lenses are yes they're all made in the same factory, but the the tolerances are, are very very tight. But when when you're talking about optics and uh, some of the mechanics that we're talking about here, um, those the margins for getting something as close to perfect or not quite perfect are, are tiny. 
and uh, and there's a there's a story about Stanley Kubrick. Um, he used to have several lenses sent to him uh, by Zeiss uh, for when he was doing his cinematography, and he would select uh, whichever lens he or lenses that he felt were good enough for him. And these are you know, again coming from a company like like Zeiss, so. Sample variation is something you certainly come across with like Soviet lenses and things like that because you yes. can, yeah. they can yeah. all look yeah. the same and, and one of them can be wonderful, another another one can be an absolute dog. And yeah. um, and I think that the the variations we're talking with companies like Schneider and Rodenstock are going to be tiny compared to what, what you see. Yeah. Uh, and you can really, sometimes you really can see the difference with uh, some of these yeah. Uh, yeah. lenses. Um, I think you can get a lot away with a lot in 5.4 and larger forms because you have such a large neg. Um, you, you've got so much information there anyway. Um, I think you, you, you do lend, you, you know what I mean? And you're shooting quite often, you're stopping down an awful lot, um, down to F32 and things like that, maybe mics, you know. Um, so I think you do have a little bit more play. So sometimes you can buy, you can get away with, say, a, a slightly cheaper lens, and you may not for the kind of printing you're doing, the size of printing, if you're doing contact prints and things like that, you may not really, you may not really see a great deal of difference in some some lenses. But sometimes when you, 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 there is, uh, yeah, it's de depends what you want to do with it. I suppose. So I don't know if it's I don't know if it's appropriate to. It just occurred to me that either we talk about it now or at some point in the future for people out there looking to buy their first lens. I mean, I. I kind of steer people towards the modern ones you know the schneiders and the rodenstocks and so on but you make a fair point graham really you know you don't and then you know we've had um, neil piper just on you know on on the on the text messages asking about it as well i mean is and uh, is there is there a uh, the risk of putting the prices up because thousands of people listen to this podcast <laughs> Is there a is there a, a really good bargain lens that sort of no, in that normal range for four five five four, um, you know, sort of one three five to one eighty? Um, uh, what, what you'd what you'd point people towards or something to not yeah, not, I mean, not not be worried about it if they saw it because of the reasons you were saying, you know that. Yeah. Uh, oh right. Oh, that's, that's a tricky one. Well, you don't have to answer it now. If you can ever think about it, you can yeah, even I'll you can even um, we can yeah. perhaps maybe we could start yeah. a thread in the in the Facebook group. Yes, that would be quite yeah, good. yeah, we will. Yeah, Ide ideas yeah. for sharing yeah. ideas on lenses. So that's a good that's yeah. a good thing. Maybe we'll do that there in the Facebook group. Yes, that yeah, yeah. Going. Uh, I mean, I've got a couple of my lenses are quite strange. Really, I've got um, one. Of the first lens I bought for myself was a a Schneider um, Angulon. But not the super angle on, just the, the standard angle on the, the first one, it's like f6.8. And really, they were, I think they were made for um, uh, originally for a 9b12 camera, which is slightly smaller than a 5.4. Oh, I've, so seen, I've seen that lens because it, yeah. it gives you coverage in 5.4, doesn't it? On your it does, it gives me plenty of coverage. Uh, and, and, and they were used on the Linhoff Technicus. So, um, and I've never really had a problem with. Um, uh, fall off and things around the edges uh, but then again i'm really only using it really for landscape work and um, if i say i was using it on a monorail camera doing architectural stuff it may then you, you may run out of coverage if you see what i mean when you're using lots and lots of movements just just explain yourself a little bit there i think we might have uh, well, last, uh, last I mean, time but... I mean, quite often with landscape work you're only using quite subtle movements uh yeah. or you, you just to, to 
to correct depth of field and things like that. So you're talking uh, about moving the front standard on your large yes, format yeah, camera, yeah. either, uh, either yeah. swing, swings yeah. or tilts or rise yeah. and fall. Uh, but if you would say using uh, doing large pictures of large architectural buildings and things on a monorail cam, which has a much more flexible movement, and you really you will probably you need something like more like a, a super angular, which has a much greater uh, 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 much circle. greater coverage, much greater image circle, uh, because you're you know I'm only using it maybe a couple of degrees each time, but uh, you know with it yeah mostly when I'm out when I'm out sharpness at, if I'm know. just photographing that my normal subject which is Fenland drains going off into the distance yeah yeah <laughs> i can yeah. i can focus at the bottom of my feet and i know with just one or two degrees forward tilt on my front yeah. end panel and then i just readjust the focus yeah, i then yeah. i then look at those houses and trees on the horizon and then i look down at my feet again and everything's sharp you know yeah, yeah, very yeah, exactly. you can you can overdo the movement for effect and a lot of people yeah. do yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I do sometimes. I do which like is, to pull it a little bit, uh, but then you know, again, if if you, you are doing that, you don't mind a little bit of fall, like fall off in some ways, because it adds to that kind of dreamy effect in a way. I don't mind anyway. But if you are wanting to really correct perspective on like a, a skyscraper or something in New York, you know, in or a, or a large industrial building somewhere, then you would want everything. You want you wouldn't want that fall off, so you'd need a lens which could have that big image circle to to, to control it, sort of thing. Um, but then again, I mean, super angulons aren't particularly expensive lenses. They've been making those for a long time, um, so they're quite available. And the other lens I've got is a an old commercial. I don't know where it's Rankin Pullen, Rankin and Pullen, like a six inch lens. I got that from Mister Cad. Uh, so it's equivalent to 150, so yeah. just standard lens on 5.4. And that's in a, what was called a, a, a pronto press shut, uh, shutter. Um, so it's like it, it winds its it self-cocking shutter, uh, which is quite a, quite a big thing. And, and that's fantastic lens. But again, that was probably about £100. It wasn't an awful lot of money. If you um, it yeah. as well. Share um share pictures of these things or, yeah, or, yeah. or start start a little group. Yeah, Graham. Uh, I did I think, actually. If you go on to Mister Cad, we talked about Mister Cad a little while ago. If you type in large format, he's got dozens and dozens and dozens yeah, of odd yeah. lenses on there, and I don't yeah. know what half of them are. But yeah, yeah, you know. Um, that's why sometimes every time I just called them up and said, "Well, I'm after this. What have mm. you got?" And he was like, "Oh, well, this should do." Um, because as well, I'm not particularly because I do most 90% of my work is black, especially with the 5.4, 100% of my work with the 5.4 is black and white. I'm not particularly bothered about multi-coated lenses. I'm quite happy with uncoated lenses. Um, I don't think you know multi-coating is more for uh, correcting correcting of colours and things like that. And uh, I think you can quite often get away with an uncoated lens, which again brings the price down quite considerably. So you can look at. Um, is that a statement you'd agree with, Simon, being our resident lens yeah, expert? There's, uh, the, 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 bit, the other side of the coating uh, bit is, is about reflections and contrast, especially if you, the more you're pointing your lens towards a strong light source, the, mm -hmm. the, the more multi-coatings yes, yeah, are yeah. going to help you. Um, but the, the, what's interesting there, though, is, and, and I, I absolutely get what you're saying there with, with black and white versus colour, 
um, many times, you know, when I'm shooting on digital, but using a very old lens, um, and I see that you know the uh, the image washes out, and you get veiling flare. Um, so yeah, you, yeah. there's a huge drop in, in contrast in the shot. Um, sometimes I'm there thinking, oh, I've just lost all my colours and stuff like that. But then I, I'll still take it because I know that when I get it home. I'll convert that to black and white and it has a special look that yeah, it yeah. wouldn't have if it was yeah. the same lens that would be multi-coated. It just wouldn't yes. look as good in black yeah. and white. Yeah, and and quite often, a lot of my photography, I that's what kind of lenses that I used, I, that's the kind of feel I like. Um, so uh, as well with my medium format, uh, I do have a Mamiya 7, which I use an awful lot. Um, but I quite often will just pack my little ENZ, my Enzyme A20 6.9 camera uh or a little rolly cord and things like that and they're all uncoated lenses and i just love that kind of feel they give to a to a picture the kind of the contrast the lovely luminous kind of uh, uh mid-tones and things they give um so sometimes i think modern lenses can be a bit too contrasting a bit too clinical yeah so you mean the, the lack that have that feel and that atmosphere uh, they kind of wash out you take away the atmosphere and the feel sometimes but probably there's a lot of people shouting at me right now saying you're an idiot graham so <laughs> well you you may be lots of things my friend but you're not that um, <laughs> <laughs> there's one other little bit of this question because i we, we've got a few emails but i don't think we're going to get through them today but i'm keen to answer this one um so ben if you remember we started reading his email about two days ago um, he says, I have a question for you. What effect does Bellows extension have on exposure time and what is the best way to calculate it? So my understanding of this is that exposure calculations generally work well and are quite predictable within the sort of Bellows extension of the focal length of the lens. So if you're shooting a 150 millimeter lens and you don't extend the Bellows any more than that, you don't need to worry. Once you start extending the bellows greater than the focal length, then you the effect of the fall off of the light reaching the film is greater. And so you have to make some kind of compensation. Yes. Um, yeah. Can I can I just put a phrase that slightly differently, just for the yeah uh, the, the, the 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 noobs in the house, um, yeah. and uh, so we, we're talking about when you when your lens rather than say about extending the bellows past the, uh, the 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 focal length, we're talking about once you we're talking about infinity um, as being uh, the, the the correct distance for the bellows, so so to speak, for the for the metering. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. as soon yeah. as you yeah. actually start to focus on something that is closer than infinity, therefore you have to move the lens further away from the film and that causes light drop off so yes. so the, the closer yes. your object you're trying to take a photograph of the more extension you have in the bellows and therefore less light ultimately is actually reaching your um, your your film therefore you have to find a method of compensating uh, your, your shutter or your aperture to to compensate yeah it's just the same as if you're using an extension tube on your 35 mil camera really uh, but you don't have that luxury of having that inbuilt uh, meter. I mean, that's probably why the Sinar made that meter, that Gossen meter back, is for uh, uh, studio work. So it would you wouldn't have to use Polaroid all the time to check your exposure. But the rule of thumb that I was told, which is, um, if you're if your if you measure your bellows, so you focus on your object. So get a um, if they are twice 
the uh, the measure the, the distance between your lens your front your lens and your film is twice that of the the size of your lens say it's uh, you have a hundred meter 180 millimeter lens and you have 32 you know uh, 32 centimeters uh, of bellows extended uh, then you you add one stop basically I think I mean that's basically oh is it two stops one or two stops I think it might be two <laughs> the two is twice isn't it yeah you yeah, double you, it you, so, you, yeah, you're you, on you, you're on a roll until you started hesitating i started hesitating oh, well, i almost started convincing there didn't i um i think if you yeah. want if you want to record something life-size which i think is the definition of macro yeah one to one isn't it yeah one to one so you, you your bellows would have to be extended twice two times yeah. their normal um sort of as simon said uh, their focal length distance so i think we're roughly we're measuring from the lens probably from the lens panel yeah. to the film plane that's yeah. we, we can say that yeah so if, yeah if you so you've got this life-size image but you've got your bellows extended twice the focal length of the lens yeah. so i think you need to add probably two stops for that i think you're right it is two if you're if it's half as much extension as the focal length so if you've got a focal length lens of 100 millimeters and, you, and your bellows extension is 150 add a stop yeah, um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, or if you're like me, I just guess. Yeah, because I'm using um, HP five, and I know I should worry, but I probably yeah, not. It's it's a, it's a bit of a mind because then you have got to recalculate, then you calculate your uh, reciprocity failure of your film, <laughs> and then you get, yeah, it goes on and on and. Well, on. the lens lens, uh, Mr. Ansel Adams tells me because I did some research, lens extension factor is equal to on the top line bellows extension squared divided by the focal length squared. And that does actually work because I put those factors in. There you go. Yeah. But just add a stop. Well, let's try and put this into a, a sort of real-world uh, mm. uh, environment. Um, okay. And you're taking you're, – you're, you're out and you're somewhere and, you, and you've got a uh, – you're taking a picture of a person. And that person is um, – let's say they're – uh, two meters away from from the from your camera, and you're using a 150 millimeter lens on your five by four. Would you have a rough idea how much extra um, you would need to, how much extra exposure you would you would need to give to for that kind of I, shot compared I to don't... how it would be at infinity? There's a rule of thumb that you could probably say, you know what, that's probably about half a stop or a third of a stop or something like that. Just just yeah. as a, off the top of your head. It's it, it's hard to describe on air, but me and my friends when we were at college, we just used to um, make a hand into a fist, then stick out your thumb and stick out your little pinky, and stick it against the side of your camera and go, well, that's that's about half a stop. <laughs> that's about a stop. <laughs> it's, it's put it against the side. Of the, and it, if we go, if it's two of those, well, that's two stops. That's what we used to do. Well, that's a really, really rough estimate. <laughs> so please don't come back to me when you want your, your underexposed five off. Um, uh, but yeah, that's what we used to do when we were at college. We used to like, just go, it's hard to explain over, on, over the airwaves, but um, yeah, we used to, uh, yeah. Like measure it with a, you know, say, well, that's about, that's about 150 centimeters. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So just just add a, add a little bit on. That's that's the technical yeah, yeah, answer, isn't yeah. it? Really. I mean, the good thing, <laughs> the other thing, um, if you're not used to five four, um, when I was at college, what we were always told was, 
the double the, the beauty of the double attack side is what you do is uh, rather than bracketing shots like you do on uh, roll film uh, where you take an exposure under expo- the right, correct exposure and uh, an underexposure and an overexposure and then you develop it and that would give you a kind of your bracketed exposure you shoot um, you use your dark slide and you shoot the exposure the same picture twice so you would put your dark slide into your camera expose the film turn the dark side round and expose the other sheet with the same shot and then you would only then when you go to the dark room to process that film you process one side of your dark slide one sheet of film from it and if you need to make any correction in your development you develop you use the second uh, uh, yeah. sheet of film um, yeah, I mean, that's not helping for exposure because, to be honest, if you've cocked the exposure up on the first one... Yeah, you've done it massively. But if you're a little bit out by, say, half a stop or something like that, you can usually you can, you can adjust it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, your, de- your development is primarily affecting the highlights. So, yes, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I mean, we're, we're getting into areas of zone system and developing... Yeah, bit, yeah, which, yeah. ...which we're yeah. not going to cover now. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, there's a, there's a very good book for people who are beginning on, as well as... Ansel Adams, uh, the negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very good book called The Fine Print by Fred uh, Picker. Um, I think it was published in the 60s or 70s. Uh, I picked up a copy secondhand, and what he does is he goes through a series of um, of pictures that he's taken, and he tells you how he uh, he used. Uh, Ansel Adams' zone system and how he corrected for exposure and things and how he uh, composed that picture step by step through each print. So it's a kind of like a classroom, uh, like almost like a book workshop. Mm-hmm. And he goes through a number of different uh, scenes and each one he gives you a breakdown of uh, all the processes he did to create that picture. And that's a really good book because it really, because um, uh, when you you know you read Ansel Adams the negative and it gives you lots and lots of information but it's all information but this gives it a nice handy guide to it all uh, so if people are looking for a book on five four uh, practice it's a it's a really good buy it's a it's a really good book to look out for okay I'll put a note of that in the yeah. um, in the show notes together with all the other yeah yeah affairs and shops and things we've spoken about yes yeah uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the other good one is um, Andrew Sanderson's. Uh, he does a number of he does a great one on paper negatives and things like that as well, which is really worth buying. Yeah, Andrew Andrew's is a is a fantastic chap. We've interviewed him on the Lensless podcast and does a lot of large format work. Yeah, uh, he's, yeah. He's, if you're looking for books for inspiration, then his book on nighttime photography is probably the definitive guide to practical nighttime photography. Yes. Um, yeah. His book on home photography is my personal favourite. That's just sort of inspiration around the home, and then his book on paper negatives. And I think he's got another one out as well. But those those three are the three that I have. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I expect it, and I expect we may have him on this podcast at some point. Yes. Oh, good. Great. Yeah. Simon. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I'm just just thinking. Shall we do? Shall we do one more uh, email? Because I'm I'm really enjoying yeah. doing these emails. Was with uh, well, Are you? For, okay. yeah. Just, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm learning stuff. So uh, okay. let, let's, well, let's, let's go for it. So Cass Fitzgerald uh, sent an email. She says, "Hello, Andrew and Simon." So you got the got the let's get went, got the order around the right way. Yeah, alphabetically <laughs> correct. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I enjoyed your first episode. Uh, I've finally taken the leap into large format with the recent. With the recent purchase 
of an old and cheap speed graphic. So um, I don't know whether where Cass is, whether she's in the United States, because these speed graphics seem to be a lot more common there. Oh, yeah. I, the, yeah. I had to fix the focal plane shutter. Well, that's made of cloth, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know how you – maybe – and you wind it up. So if the cloth is knackered and torn, I think – I don't know whether you can fix it. I mean, there's going to be more than just that that can go wrong with it. Of course. Yeah. So when she, when and she mechanics says, and so on. Yeah. So maybe it was that. Anyway, it doesn't. It's not really about. I mean, they can get snagged up and things, and you can unfree them up and things. So yeah, she. I had to fix the focal plane shutter and clean the lens. Okay. The shutter is a much. Oh, well, there we go. The shutter is a much simpler mechanism than I expected. The lens is proving to be a problem because of haze. Well, Cass, go back and listen to um, the photography with classic lenses podcast episode this bit, we, we talk about haze quite 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 regularly. yeah no but didn't you have lyndon on from londinium cameras we we talk? did and uh, it's the classic lenses podcast um and what did i say what did i call uh, it you say photography with classic lenses but that's the name of the facebook group you see, so oh, i, I can understand your confusion there hmm. um yeah it was it was a i think it was about three episodes ago now um so it's not not that far to go back uh but yeah lyndon from londinium cameras and uh, we've also uh we had matthew duclos of uh duclos cameras um or duco's optics in the in hollywood uh talking about things such as haze and uh balsam separations another thing that uh keeps on rearing its head oh i've heard you talking about that as well and it's not always easy to spot until you sort of turn your head inside out and look at it precisely but haze haze is a it's a it's a term that covers a lot of things mm. um, so there's not oh that's got haze and therefore that is the answer um, it's it all depends on what type of uh, malady that we class as haze is is the problem there and, and sometimes so it can't be fixed some some yeah. lenses are easier to clean yourselves than others i've picked that much up well yeah and and that's one of the good things from what i've seen of uh, large format lenses though they they do seem to be a, a lot i mean most of them just come apart anyway to to fit them into the yeah, shutter yeah, you can usually unscrew the rear and front elements off and give it a bit of a clean and put it back together quite quickly. Yeah, yeah because that's where that's where most of the dirt is is with these lenses anyway. Because that, that's a it's an airspace and uh, it's you know dirt yeah. can get into that space. Plus, you also get potential uh, detritus from the uh, from the shutter blades and aperture as well. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good uh, really good point. So, uh, Cass, if you listen back to. Um, Simon's other podcast of which I've forgotten the name of it again so I won't the classic lenses podcast <laughs> the classic lenses podcast I just keep banging my head until I get it stuck in there I don't expect to use oh so there we go I don't expect to use leaf shutter because I plan to shoot paper negatives interesting um, right so here we go speaking of shooting paper what would you rate the paper how would you come up with the exposure index so just for anyone who wants so the exposure index is really the speed that you decide to rate film or paper, and it's not necessarily what it says on the box. So if you decide that you want to use FP4 or 80, um, that's your ex personal exposure index, but that's another topic. I have been reading, and I don't fully understand the processes to come up with paper speed. With wet printing, it would seem it is a process of trial and error. Is it the same with paper negatives? Well, um, yeah, to an extent, but generally speaking, I think most paper, if you start with using something like ISO 2 or 3, you're not going to be far off. 
Yeah, pretty. Yeah, would you, yeah. Would you, would you agree with that, Graham? Yeah, no, yeah, definitely agree with that. And uh, the good thing about paper, of course, is it, it's much cheaper than film and much easier to handle and develop. So it could be worth doing little test strips and uh, little uh, in, 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 slide a small piece, small piece of paper into your dark slide, and expose that. You know, within like a, a, a room space, you know, like inside or where you in your garden, something somewhere close to your dark room, and then you can just go back and keep on trying until you get the index that you really like. Because um, the, the the paper varies a little bit with um, your daylight conditions as well. Because of course, I think it's more susceptible to UV light. Is that correct? Am I am I making that up? Um, could be. I think so. <laughs> if it's cloudy, you may get a different exposure to when it's sunny, if you see what I mean. Not just because of the, the amount of light, but also the amount of UV can affect uh, the length and shut what maybe. Well, I, I mean, I've also just bought uh, the photography show my first box of direct, Harman Direct Positive paper. Yeah. And, of course, everyone talks about how contrasty that is. but And yet I've I've chatted to people who are using it uh, w- without any kind of jiggery-pokery. By that, I mean something called pre-flashing. Um, yeah. So if you pre-flash it, it means you can. It's a way of controlling the contrast. We can. We yes. Can yeah. You're almost slightly fogging the film. But but other people. But I think it depends under what lighting conditions you're using it. If I'm going out in the middle of the British summer, like last year when it was bright sunshine and 35 degrees, the contrast is probably going to be way off the scale. But if I go out, if I want to get some real atmospheric paper negatives, and I go out on an overcast day, probably the inherent contrast in that paper is going to be perfect for that situation. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, Simon, have you used paper uh, in as a negative? You know? No, no, no. I'm, I'm still uh, chugging my way through Fomapan at the moment. And uh, my, my, my next venture is going to be on some of this um, Chinese or Shanghai paper uh, film. I was, so, yes. Uh, yeah, I've been looking at that for 10, eight. I've been looking at their film for, cause they, it's about, 60 pounds or something for a box of 10 8 um which is about half the price of any um uh, mainstream uh, film manufacturer even so so ilford and things are usually about 130 140 pounds for a box of uh, 10 by 8 paper i've just bought some some more x-ray film film. i've got i've got a i've got a big box of 10 by 12 x-ray film and which I have to cut down, and I've now just gone and bought some more, another box of the same Fuji HRT green sensitive uh, X-ray film, and I found it on eBay, a really good deal actually. Import again, imported from the USA, but it was I think when the conversion was done with import taxes built in and postage, it's fifty pounds for a box of. 100. Oh wow! Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. And um, as that's my favourite. It's the only eight by ten film I'm using, but it's um, it's a film yeah. I'm enjoy I'm enjoying playing with. So I thought I'd buy another box because it seemed a good idea. Yeah, and and as well going back to FOMA, I think a lot of people uh, dismiss it and um, say it's not very good quality. But I've never ever had any issues with FOMA Pan uh, 100 or 400 film. I've used it for years, and uh, yeah, I love the, I love the 100. I use it. I've only ever shot it. At, um, yeah. Five yeah yeah uh, um it's great in lots of different um developers it's great in caffeinol and it's great in um uh, pyro developers and things uh, uh, and usually i get pretty much uh, box speed as well so i've never had an issue with uh, foam apart and so it's, it's great inexpensive relatively inexpensive version uh, to use um so 
Damn boy. Uh, yes, my dog has just charged into the room. <laughs> she's been left outside for too and long. And having, having met your dog, she's... Um, so just to fi- finish off Cass's email, um, this is, I think she's kind of asking a secondary question. A member of my amateur radio club has lent me some film holders and a light and a light meter. The light meter only goes down to six ASA and down to F22. To re- and in brackets, she says to rant a little. I firmly, I firmly believe F numbers are ratios, so F22 is a small number. E.g., in my case, it would mean huh, 127 stroke 22 and goes up to 127 stroke 4.7 as a large aperture. I don't know what the 127 bits refers no, no, I think, to. I think, I, think I think she's talking about the focal length of a lens. Oh, is she? Right. Well, you're right, Cass. F22 is a small hole and 4.7 is a big hole, basically. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I would like to hear more on shooting paper to keep this large format insanity affordable. You have a great podcast. Keep it up. Well, we'll try, Cass, and thank you so very much for your feedback. Um, but I'd also recommend if you want to invest a little bit of money, go. and um, we've mentioned Andrew Sanderson. He has a blurb publication. It's a fairly small book, a little paperback thing. Um, all about shooting paper negatives. And I have a copy, which I haven't read yet, um, but it's sitting on my shelf. Right. It's a really informative little book, and it gives you a very clear step-by-step process to start shooting your own paper negatives. Mm. And the other thing he recommends for larger formats, uh, like 5.4 and uh, up to 10 by 8 things, um, fiber-based papers can be, how, can be quite good because they have a tendency to curl um sort of to curl outwards or inwards with the emulsion sort of thing. So they yeah, have yeah. so they, they lie flatter in your dark slide while resin coated has a has a tendency to to curl towards the back. Uh-huh. Uh, so sometimes can resin coat papers can pop out your dark slide if you in, in uh, good point. Yeah and, the, uh, and alter your focal plane and things like that. So the the fiber base has a tendency to sit flatter inside your dark slide. You should try a shooting washi film paper washi film in four or five. That's the amount of swearing that went on when I was trying to do that, I tell you. But that's, <laughs> really? Is it oh, I've never it. shot I've never looked I've never shot I've it. Still got, well I've got next time I see you I'll give you some. I've only tried it twice and I've got the rest of it sitting in my fridge. It drives me nuts. <laughs> you you cannot Anybody who can get that to go inside a dark slide. <laughs> so in the end, I ended up um, getting a sheet of uh, uh, 5.4 film, which had been um, um, clear, transparent. So what, what had I done to that? I must have developed it and fixed it, but not exposed it or something. Yeah. Or maybe I just fixed it. Whatever I did to it, it I've got this clear sheet of plastic, the same size, and I effectively sandwiched the washy film behind it and shoved the whole thing into the dark oh, side. right right and that seemed to hold it in place but it's it's not very satisfactory and it's a terribly contrasty uh, film uh, paper uh, again so you need to choose the right subjects right um, but it, i yeah. may i've made a couple of really great uh salt prints with it because it's so you know sort of contrasty and bold. yes yeah 
Yeah. yeah. Ah, Simon, did you want to read any more emails? Or are we dragging this out too long? I, I, I think I think we've done this week on 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 emails, and um, I think so. I mean, yeah. It's it's also got to be said. I think I should have said this at the top of the show as well. That I mean, we originally said that it was going to be a, a monthly podcast, maybe and maybe less. Um, <laughs> well, it, it's certainly been the case of since we we said that um, people have been approaching us and the, and and also just conversations that we've been having uh with with lots of people who've been contributing in the in the facebook group and uh, and individually that there's just so many people out there that we want to talk to that we we it just not we just don't want to wait one month between episodes to to talk to all of these people yeah, otherwise we wait until next year before we get to some of them yeah because it's like a, it's a bit of a, a landslide at the moment isn't it it's really come alive the for the, the group there's lots of people putting information on there and there's lots of people putting posting pictures and things which is really great i mean do the do the thing about just just doing this podcast today with you graham it could go off in so many different directions we could just have graham on every month for the next year (laughs) yeah yeah it's um it's a yeah there's so many so many rabbit holes so many directions i mean i want earlier on you were talking about your um Oh, what's what's it, the the silver silver emulsion, and I, yes, and yeah, uh, yeah. and and I wanted to, I wanted to know a little bit more about that. So I find in the, the the pictures are fascinating, but I think we should save that for another day because uh, fair enough. Yeah, because um, um, I do a lot of quite a bit of uh, wet plate clothing as well. Yeah, I know uh, we haven't we past. haven't we haven't really talked about any of that work. Um, so we'll I think we need to talk to you again about and just focus on your work. And I'm sure when we do that, there'll be more technical stuff that comes out. Mm. Yes. Yeah. 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 That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's a, a logical place to start winding things down. Um, especially now, now that we've uh, all agreed that Graham, you, you need to come back and talk to us another time. <laughs> right. um, um, so, um, so how often are we going to put this podcast out then? <laughs> that's a very, that's a very good question. I think, I think we I think I, I I'm sure I was listening. I think it was Neil Piper's uh, Suit and Whitewash uh, podcast. I was I was listening to you on there. I think it, uh, Neil described it as a uh, uh, an Andrew Bartram heavy episode, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it and it was. Uh, and I think on that, I think you'd uh, said to him that um, I think it was on that one. You said it's, it it could well be a, a fortnightly thing, and I think that that's. Yeah, that that sounds quite quite reasonable to me. If we can wait that long, um, but uh, yeah, I think I think we'll we'll stick with an as and when, and more than more than a month, more than monthly. And uh, you know, if we if we're desperate to get something out, then we perhaps we might put something out. So as a, as a backstop, as a backstop, people should expect at the very latest to have a new episode out once a month. But the likelihood is we'll have. Uh, one or two more out, possibly in within that time. Exactly. Maybe, maybe one more. Yeah, I think I think the, the the point is both you know both you Andrew and, and myself we 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 do regular podcasts and and sometimes they they can be uh, quite um, consuming of our time and not just when you're actually doing the podcast it's all the things that on on the run up before it so uh, whereas when we talked about doing this podcast we wanted it to be a little bit more relaxed uh, in terms of its scheduling and we didn't want to feel pressured into getting things out but I think it's not going to be difficult in the slightest to get things out on a monthly basis Mm -hmm. Um, and um, yeah so if we can do it more often that and if we feel that it's a good idea to do that then then we will and we can keep the discussions going through 
the large format photography podcast, put my teeth back in, Facebook group. Yes. And the, LF, the LFPP. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not the FPP, that's someone else, the LFPP. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we were chatting just before the uh, recording the podcast and the you know, there's, I think we've got 110 people in the, in the group at the moment. Um, more than that, I think. Though. Okay. Well, it's it's it, it's interesting that you know if somebody posts a question, uh, considering just how few people are at, there are actually in the group, the the the, the number and the quality of the answers and the, the general attitude is just yeah. just really really great in the group. So if you if you if you are listening to this and you haven't joined the Facebook group, um, please take a look at it. Unfortunately, not everybody is into Facebook, and I understand that. But uh, well, I'm not really into Facebook, but I, I have to say, if you can if you can bear joining Facebook. Join it just for the groups because there are some awesome photography-related groups there. Oh, yeah. I, I post I post very little onto general Facebook. Um, I check into the occasional hotel on business, and but that's about it really. But most of my Facebook stuff is through the groups. But Simon, please take that dreadful photograph off. <laughs> um, I think uh, just for. for- that's, that's a reason for why people should join Facebook, uh, or at least uh, our Facebook group at the moment. So there's a, a photograph taken by Nigel Cliff, who was uh, mm. on the analog uh, walk at the NEC. And the photograph is is of uh, <laughs> Max from Intrepid, and I'm in the shot, and uh, Andrew's in the shot. And Andrew is... Um, and you look bored. Both of you look bored witless. I did say witless. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we do look a little bit confused or in, in slight disbelief at what, whatever it was you were actually saying at the time. And it, it's, it, it's, um, it's, a, it's a wonderful picture, and I think it should stay up forever. Um, <laughs> right, well, oh, um, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's close things off. Um, uh, Graham, uh, we've talked about your website and stuff, but I think this is a good opportunity to talk about it again, how people can uh, take a look at your work, whether you're on, on Instagram and all the places that people could, yeah, could, could yeah, find. Yeah. Uh, so you can find me at um, on my blog, uh, GrahamVasey at WordPress.com, or you can find my website. Uh, that should be pretty much interlinked, uh, which is just GrahamVasey.com. Uh, I also on Twitter as uh, GVaseyPhoto and Instagram, as uh, Greyhead V, I think something like that. A bit strange that one. That's a bit. There's not so much photography stuff on the Instagram. It's more fishing. So general fishing. There's a lot of fishing, um, uh, but yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of pictures of me in the rivers, calling. Yeah. Um, uh, so, but the the Twitter and the uh, the WordPress and things. So usually on my, on my blog, I try to write a bit about not only the process that I'm using and. Uh, post pictures but also about why i go to these places so there's yeah. a lot of um the history of the locations and things like that which is what i find a lot of inspiration from and um, it's a lot of um so a lot of my work is is kind of um based around um the use of land and the, the how we've how we inhabit land, the landscape and how it's been affected by man and how man's been affected by the land sort of thing. So it's that uh, symbiosis sort of thing. So there's, there's lots of stuff. Hopefully there's lots of stuff that people find interesting in there. So it is a um, great blog. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. It's, it's I've, I've started in about 2011, I think it was 2011. So it's been running for quite a while. So there's uh, even on there is a bit about how to build your own uh, 10 by eight camera out of uh, foam board and gaffer tape, basically. Um, 
so that gets a lot of people a lot of people interested in that and uh, and I'm just about to do another blog post about I've uh, just been making a new set of bellows for an old butcher postcard size plate camera uh, so that should be going on there soon um, which have been that's what I've been tinkering away with for the last sort of couple of days um, and you can if Graham, people can actually go and see your work in a gallery. You've been they you can indeed, yeah. We haven't, we, haven't, um, we haven't touched on that, but next time uh, we talk to you, we will. But where can people go and see some of your fine so work? The, so the gallery is in uh, Darnton in County Durham. It's called uh, Gallerina, and it's uh, they have a when you if you Google my name, you'll find uh, their website as well. There's a gallery page of my pictures. So it's a contemporary art gallery. Um, really fantastic run by wonderful people uh richard himself was is a is a photographer in the past and he very you know so the great people to talk to about the work and stuff and uh, yeah so usually uh have a display of about half a dozen pieces and they do quite um in there all the time as well as lots and lots of stuff in the bureaus and things so you happen to be in darlington uh, please call in and there's a couple of online magazines have been on i've been in i was in blur magazine i think in issue 54 of blur magazine i was um and they have a good piece they have a good uh um they had a good uh sort of ex um uh what's the word i'm looking for it, um, good feature of my pictures so bit yeah a, bit about you yeah <laughs> expose um, yes expose and uh uh i'm also of course on you can find me on Flickr. And you can find me on iPaternity, but I don't know if anybody is really using. Oh, I used to use. I've got an iPaternity account, and yeah, it seems to people seem to have dropped off it. I think a lot of people jumped onto it when they got yes. fed up with Flickr. Flickr. They did, and uh, now they've all gone back to Flickr. So it seems to be a bit of a, it's a shame, really, because there's some really great photographers on there, uh, and it's quite a nice for, uh, forum as well, like format to display your work on. Uh, so yeah, so lots of stuff really. Um, uh, yeah, all over the place. Um, and I didn't uh, queue you up on this one, but do, have you got any shout outs you might want to have? If you haven't, don't worry about it. Uh, oh, for like up and coming things and stuff. Or, or other photographers. Other photographers. But, but up and coming, uh, if you've got news, you know, things you want to shout yeah. out about. Yeah. Uh, just generally just tinkering away with more work, really. Um, there was actually. Hang on, let me think. Um, Sounds like he brought notes to this podcast. I'm, I I'm impressed. It's a bit scary. Isn't it's it? all, yeah, it's a, yeah. Because I'm, 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 I suffer from dyslexia, so I get myself all fangled up and confused with myself sometimes when I'm trying to explain things. So I try to write some notes down, so I wouldn't be. And now I can't read my own notes, which is never a good thing. <laughs> well, you've done very um, well. Yeah. Uh, if anybody's interested in sort of vintage cameras and kind of plate cameras and wet plate Claudian things. Uh, my friend uh, Tony Richards website, uh, Four Toes, www.fourtoes.co.uk. That's fantastic. Uh, uh, Is it F-O-U-R or Four? It's yeah, F-O-U-R, yeah. Four Toes. Okay. Difference between a sock and a picture. Four Toes. And, um, yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. And there's... <laughs> And of course, your blog, Andrew, is fantastic as well. That's well worth oh, looking cheers, at. Cheers, buddy. I'll just slip you that ten pounds. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was oh, I have a friend, um, a friend in Norway as well. He's a fantastic. He's a brilliant lift printer and 
works does amazing things with uh, uh polaroid type 55 and stuff uh christopher penderson and he has a wordpress blog um and he's on Flickr and he's on uh ipaternity as well he's chris pedders on ipaternity and he's also i can't remember i think it's i think chris penderson uh, pedersen on my body is probably shouting at me now for not spelling saying his name right um he has a WordPress blog. I think it's uh, Polaroid, and uh, his his work is fantastic. He's really good. Okay. Yeah, and he's another one who, like me, he likes bargain basement lenses, and uh, so I think you can really see he uses lots of movements and creates these really wonderful dreams, dreamlike uh, landscapes and things with them. It's really good stuff. Cool, excellent. And uh, Andrew, have you got any shout outs? Nope. Okay, well, uh, in in lieu of shout outs, <laughs> I didn't I didn't think about it. If you'd have given me, if I'd have thought about it, I probably would have done, but I can't yeah, think I, that. I, nah, don't worry, I, I'm not sure if I got in myself actually. But so, how can people keep up with you outside of this podcast? Um, ooh, Warboy Snapper across most media, or my name Andrew Bartram, or you can listen to the Lensless podcast, which goes out weekly. Um, I have a blog, WordPress Andrew Bartram WordPress blog which is um, updated sporadically. Um, Or you can find me hanging out at the Large Format Photography Podcast Facebook group, which has 132 members as we speak. Wow. Excellent. Um, I just got, not so much a shout out, but it's uh, just going back to the email from Cass. Um, mm. so I've, I've now looked to see which episode of the Classic Lenses podcast we talked about Hayes in particular. And it was episode 57. Uh, that was February the 25th. And the episode is called When Fungus Attacks. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, uh, the, and uh, because we had Lyndon Booth uh, of Londonian cameras uh, talking to us, and uh, and all the general maladies that you can you can find with uh, uh, with lens and to a, to a degree with cameras, but it's, it's more more about uh, lenses there. So that that might give some more information uh, that might be useful there. But it's a pretty depressing subject uh, <laughs> that Hayes is. You know, it can, yeah. be, it can be fixed or it can't be fixed, and there's, there's not usually a great deal of middle ground. Or if there is the middle ground, then you're left with a compromise so um, yeah not not good um, so uh, from myself I'm well I've just mentioned that I'm on the classic lenses podcast uh, I have a website uh, which is Simon where I sell uh, mainly lens adapters so there aren't going to be a huge amount of people listening to this podcast so they're going to be that interested in that um, there's the uh, aforementioned uh, Facebook group uh, large format photography podcast uh, where we're posting regularly on there we have uh, an email address uh, which is large format photography podcast at gmail.com unfortunately lfpp had gone or otherwise i would have done that so i do apologize how how much you've got to type into that address box to actually send an email to us so well done if you actually get anything through to us um there was at least one other email which we've not covered this week but uh, we'll we will do on the the next episode two i think two oh my word mm. they're just they're, they're flooding in now um so uh and that that's it so i just want to thank graham again uh, for being a, a a great guest graham i've really enjoyed i mean i've i've learned a lot of, I, I don't know about andrew i've certainly yep. learned, learned a lot from what you've uh, come through with today and um yeah i really appreciate you coming on 
Well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm pleased there. Uh, I'm pleased with some help. Yeah, and I would love to come back and talk about some more stuff. That'd be fantastic. No, yeah, we'll 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 make that happen. Um, so, uh, were you going to say something there, Andrew? No, I just I was just agreeing with you. Yeah. We will. Okay, that's that's great stuff. So, uh, so yeah, that's it. We'll uh, round things off. Um, thank you for for listening this week. Um, we will be back. Who knows? Maybe in two weeks. Maybe in three. Maybe in four. But we will be back uh, with another guest. And uh, so, thank you for listening. And uh, goodbye.